0: It's 2021. Maybe you have an ambitious new exercise routine after months of being cooped up. You leave your house for an early morning run and set off down the street. Activity started. More and more, technology is part of how we exercise, from daily runs to boxing workouts with virtual reality goggles. And the pandemic is only accelerating the integration of technology into our routines. That's today on Brainstorm the podcast about how tech is reshaping our lives, and maybe ourselves. Hi everyone, I'm Michal Evram.
1: And I'm Brian O'Keefe. I feel like after the holidays, everyone is always bragging about the cool stuff they got. Like for instance, the sweater that I'm wearing right now, it's pretty cool. But here's a question for you. What was your favorite gift that you gave to somebody over the holidays?
0: Well, I got both of my daughter's sweatshirts that say favorite daughter. So that was probably my my favorite of the gifts. What about you, Brian?
1: Did that cause a fight? No. When they were both a favorite daughter?
0: I had them open it at the same time and they got the joke because they're always blaming me for favoring one over the other. So I always tell them I love the dog best. But uh, what about you?
1: Well, my favorite gift might have been something that I both gave and received which was I gave my wife and myself new Fitbits. And so now we're, we're tracking our steps and our calories in style.
0: Okay, I know you uh, pretty well, and I'm guessing that you've gotten super competitive with your wife, am I right? <laughs>
1: no, she kills me on steps. <laughs> she like laps me on steps, it's not even a contest. I need to get up right now, in fact, I gotta go. <laughs> Fitbit has been in the news recently because Google is buying it for $2.1 billion, but regulators have been looking at the deal for over a year now. It looks like it's uh, getting close to completion, but maybe they thought it might be taking a step too far, Michal? (laughs) Anyway, I spoke recently with one of the company's co-founders, Eric Friedman. He said that while the technology might be novel, helping people track their health isn't.
2: When we first started Fitbit, our big goal is to make the invisible visible. People, you know, wore pedometers, were other things, but they didn't really see the data over time. And so we've been slowly trying to first make the data visible. And if you see over the last couple of years, you know, we've rolled out a lot more analytic tools, a lot more kind of insights where we've been proactively trying to tell people how to interpret their data and how to make it actionable. Have you been surprised by how much people
1: have embraced that? Because really like the idea of like tracking your steps, tracking your heart rate on an hourly, daily basis, That was like the ultra fitness friend you had would be like you know obsessed with tracking their physical characteristics, but the average person not. Now almost everybody I know is talking about their steps all the
2: time. So you know I think we've tapped into something that what was there uh, powerfully just you didn't necessarily see it. You didn't technology did not play a major role. Like my grandmother, she had a food diary from when she was thirteen in the nineteen thirties where she wrote down all the food she ate, and this was part of a standard food diary that was given to uh, girls of her age in that era. So you know. This idea of logging and trying to become healthier has really been part of American culture since you know, Atlas in the 1920s. You know, I think it's just more Fitbits made it easier and therefore allowed you people to start seeing those trends where you can actually start seeing things overlaying each other.
1: So stepping back a little bit, big picture in terms of you know, what you're seeing from your user base, this has been such an extraordinary year with COVID and the changes that it's forced you know people to stay home, I see from some of your data that overall steps have been down, you know, which makes sense. People are confined or worried about going out. People are sleeping longer, you know, mindfulness activities are up. But walk us through like the big changes and trends that you've seen and what you extrapolate from that.
2: We are seeing you know fewer average step counts, uh, less kind of intense exertion. Not only are we seeing um, a little bit more increased sleep, but I think actually what's more important is we're actually seeing more sleep regularity. And, uh, you know, people often think, oh, it's about intense exercise. It's about diet. People think of health in isolation as opposed to that holistic picture. And Fitbit from day one has really been about that holistic picture. And so we can see things like that. We're also seeing people engage in various remote content and other things to try and still stay in shape, uh, whether it be going for local runs, working out at home, you know, you can do body-based weight training as opposed to having to go to a gym.
1: Fitbit helped lead us all into this movement of tracking our own behavior. Uh, you've got a lot more competition than you did a couple of years ago. Notably, of course, Apple has made a huge push with the Apple Watch, and you know, and a lot of people see Google's intent to acquire Fitbit as you know as a way to uh, compete with Apple. But where do you think this all goes as we move forward? You know, the devices themselves are getting much more sophisticated. The The array of data you're collecting is getting more sophisticated. But beyond just knowing this, in the next year, two years, how is it going to impact our behavior, and how, you know, what kinds of innovations are we going to
2: see around that? So I think it's really going to be about kind of again going from the making the invisible visible to making it actionable. And I think this is a longer term trend. So for example. I am now a 40 year old male. You know what are recommendations for me versus you know, my wife who's a 40 year old female? And then I think kind of you're adding that layer of machine learning on top, starting to figure out you know, what makes sense for me, Eric, and how do I react to something versus you know, how does somebody who looks demographically just like me, but sleep might be much more important for them? or you know it's not just for example exercise, it's also when you exercise can have huge implications for the chemical reactions that are going on in your body. And I think that's kind of some of the next level stuff. I might need that reassurance of Eric, pat on the back. You know, good job. You're on track for yesterday. You can do it. You go take your dog for a walk and you can make it. Brian, you might need a drill sergeant that says, get down and give me 10. And that's what's going to motivate you to exercise. And so there's a whole bunch of uh, machine learning technologies that are really good about customizing messaging. Same types of things using for marketing. Uh, rather than trying to get you to buy something, we're trying to get you to a healthier place. How much of
1: what you're doing right now is powered Behind the scenes, by machine learning, and how much is that going to, you know, change in two years? Say,
2: we've been using machine learning since day one. You know, it's a fundamental technology that we do to train all the algorithms. Um, and then, depending on the different types of machine learning, those have been scattered out in different times. But like, you know, the algorithms that run on devices, those are all machine learned trained algorithms. And then we've got various things that are running on the site, various different types of supervised, unsupervised learning it's all a bunch of different technologies but it's been there since day one and it's it's only growing
1: and what are the options for users if they just want the basics though and they're they don't want to fully opt in to all of the you know tracking of their ecg and all these other aspects which might be beneficial to them but they're just freaked out by it they're freaked out by the privacy aspect they're worried that it's going to impact their insurance rates or you know whatever it is how do you make it clear of, you know, like, I, I'm going to wear this device, but I want to draw some hard lines on what Fitbit is tracking or what they're doing with it?
2: Yeah. So, you know, privacy is really important. And ultimately, if I tell you I'm doing something with your data, but you're surprised, it's still my, my problem to deal with. Like, we need your trust. And so, you know, from day one, we have very clear privacy agreement. Not only we've got the, you know, the legalese, we also try and make sure there's a five or six bullet points at the top that's kind of very human readable by the, the average ordinary person to understand exactly what's happening. Uh, we make sure that you know when people are interacting with various types of data, it's very clear upfront how the data is being used, where it's being used, when it's being used. If you share with another app, not only do you have to say, this is the data I'm sharing, but you actually on a per data type, you've got to say, I'm sharing this, and you can then revoke it too.
1: What is the biggest growth opportunity for Fitbit? I mean, we'll leave aside whether or not you become part of Google, uh, which would obviously change the dynamic somewhat, but when you're thinking about it right now, how do you reach more people? You know, what percentage of the market is still out there for your products to penetrate?
2: I, I think with health monitoring, we're still, still at the very early days, um, both in terms of what the technology is able to do and kind of the engagement we're getting. It's becoming pressly mainstream, But, you know, I think the promise is we are there. We are your safety belt that's going to be there for your entire life, you know, from when you're very young to when you're very old and we're adjusting with you. And so I think there's that huge opportunity to really provide increased value and to adjust as you adjust as well in your life goals.
0: You know, it's interesting. I mean, there's definitely a lot of value to the data that companies like Fitbit are collecting and as Fitbit. Kind of grows old with you i'm sure there's a lot of value that can be unlocked in the future but this is coming at a time this lockup with google when there's a lot of distrust in the big tech companies and in how our data is being
3: used
1: yeah absolutely i mean you know fitbit was kind of a first mover in this whole space and now google is trying to bring fitbit in and really kind of compete with apple which of course with the apple watch is uh, providing incredible services to people and in collecting huge amounts of data about their health and is becoming a big business for Apple and potentially a huge business for Google and for other tech companies too. But I think it's important to keep in mind that this is still really early days in this whole movement of tracking our health, tracking our steps. We've moved from counting our steps to being comfortable with having a heart monitor on our wrist and the capacity to not only have people track their health on an individual basis, but to have a kind of network view of public health and fit that into the business model of these companies, but also do some greater good is really interesting. Just as one example, Fitbit has even developed an algorithm that can detect signs of COVID in people using their heart rate monitor.
0: It's no secret that since the pandemic began, people have been exercising less and less. I mean, not, not me, but maybe you, Brian.
1: Sadly, that's true for me and for the population in general. Our next guest, Dr. Abby Fisher, is an associate professor of physical activity and health at University College London. Early in the pandemic, she and her colleagues looked at smartphone tracking data for more than 5,000 people in the UK.
4: We saw a really clear decline in physical activity and sort of pre to mid lockdown by about 50%. So when we explored the data by age, we saw that the majority of people did decline, but actually the over 65 started to increase, which we thought was really interesting. But one thing to kind of say is that and um, because it's smartphone tracking data, we weren't capturing everything that people were doing. So obviously people don't have their phones on them when they're in the home. So if they were doing home-based exercise, which we probably think they were doing some, we were missing that. Um, but overall, there there was that decline. So as you
1: sift through all this data and analyze it and then and look at this other sort of qualitative data you're trying to layer on top of it, what are your takeaways about? You know, the exercise habits of people and how they might have been changed, you know, as we look forward. Do you think there's going to be lasting changes in people's behavior?
4: I think I think there definitely could be. I mean, and thinking about technology, so there was a really interesting study um led by some researchers at the University of Sydney looking at Google Trends data in April 2020, and they found that um, interest in exercise was the highest it's been since records began. So that interest was there. It may, you know, may not be translating fully into behavior, but it's quite an interesting time. People have obviously started to engage with the idea more. So
1: we have seen an explosion in the number of types of devices that people can wear to track their movement and their fitness. Apple keeps pushing further into the health space, you know, through the watch Google is expanding in the space and, and trying to acquire Fitbit. What do you think the takeaway is going to be in terms of how that translates to actual behavioral change in people? You know, like you noted, the rise in interest, people Googling or trying out apps, you know, but what does it take for that to be sticky and to change behavior?
4: So we, um, some of the key behavior change techniques we know are really important for sustained physical activity change are goal setting tracking, self-monitoring, and feedback. And actually, these wearable devices suddenly give us the opportunity to do that at an individual level. So, Because actually, one of the most effective interventions you can do is to give someone a pedometer and give them a step target, at least in the short term. Um, So actually, having these devices really kind of allows us to use some of those behavior change techniques. So I think potentially that that could be really important. Are step
1: targets uh, worth it? So many people are obsessed with their steps now and it can't be bad to move right but like from your point of view as a PhD who studies this like is that effort in the right direction?
4: Absolutely. I mean, you need a tangible goal. So goal setting we know is really important and a step goal if you can measure it and monitor it is is great. I mean, I monitor my own steps as well. I think it you know, it's an easy tangible thing to do. So the answer is yes. I mean, the 10,000 Steps a day, which you know, is people are sort of it's a very salient kind of message. It wasn't originally evidence based, so it came from a, a Japanese marketing company. But over the years, researchers have actually looked at health outcomes in people who do ten thousand steps or more, and find that, that they are better. So that is a very reasonable target, and you want some of those, maybe about three thousand of those steps, to be at a brisk, at least moderate pace. But it gives something, it gives people something tangible to to aim for, and that's really important. So ten
1: thousand steps. Was a good guess by a Japanese marketer. <laughs> yeah. What's the scientific, like, real target? Like nine thousand or eleven thousand, or is it silly to, you know, fixate on the exact number?
4: It's not silly. I mean, so so the, the recommendations from the World Health Organization are that we should be doing um, at least 150 minutes of at least moderate activity. And moderate activity, it makes you feel warm and out of breath and raises your heart rate. Um, and 150 minutes of moderate activity translates to about 3,000 brisk steps. But the other thing to point out that people often forget in the guidelines is we're also supposed to be doing at least two days of strength-based activity. And that often gets sort of, pushed to the the back of the messaging and, and the strength-based activity is equally important.
1: So what kind of strength-based activity makes sense for the average person? They don't need to necessarily be pumping giant iron at the gym, right? But like what would work and how do you track that?
4: So the first question, I mean body weight resistance exercises are fantastic. I mean that that's what I do. There's some amazing classes and apps online that, you know, will take you through a full body weight resistance workout. So you don't need any equipment. How we track that is a tricky question actually because that's where Things like smartphones do fall down a bit and the wearable devices like your smartwatch will capture. They, they do capture if you're raising your heart rate. So they do pick it up to some extent, but that's definitely there's definitely more scope to develop technology that can capture the strength based activity better, I think. I think also. An area that could really be um, explored more is something called ecological momentary assessment, and that's where you're getting real-time data on people's kind of fluctuating motivations, because motivation is is not a stable thing; it changes and you know, sometimes it's high, sometimes it's not. And I think if we could track people's motivation and kind of intervene at times when it's particularly low, with things like reminding them of their their reasons for, you know, wanting to embark on an exercise program, there would be real kind of potential. So we have this uh,
1: surge of technology and interest and, you know, kind of all coming together where we're all thinking about our health all the time. But as you look forward, not only past, hopefully, you know, the worst of COVID, but just going down the road a couple or three years and the continuing development of technology, what are you excited about
4: So something that that really excites me and and sort of has for a long time is the potential of virtual reality. And there are different types of VR exercise games. There are ones that replicate sports and there's a boxing game, for example, and there are sports-based games. But there are also games that involve bodily movement, but actually fun is the target. And there are also games that link up with sports equipment like rowing machines. And But I think we were most interested in the games that had fun as their their target but with movement as the kind of byproduct, and especially ones that don't rely on a lot of a lot of equipment because people generally that's never going to have population reach and things like boxing and different types of bodily movement so one of the challenges is how do you get people active enough in that space but we did a study where we um, compared some of the, the top selling virtual reality extra games and looked at people's heart rates and actually they were achieving pretty high levels of intensity. And one of the, the sort of beauties of virtual reality is that it detracts from some of the negative effects of exercise. So some, especially when people aren't used to exercising, it can be quite physiologically challenging. And if you can distract them from that, then that that's really exciting, I think.
1: I like the idea of virtual reality boxing, you know, where you can't feel it when you get walloped with an uppercut in your face, right? You know, it's like low downside.
4: <laughs> yeah. And it's great. I mean, the reason that I sort of went down the street is because I tried VR and fell in love with it.
1: Do you have a VR headset hidden in the, in the room there somewhere? I've
4: got one at the in the office.
0: <laughs> okay, so I I have a confession to make. I'm definitely working out less and I'm totally open to, you know, finding out about new ways including using technology. To make working out from home work, especially in a small space. So I've tried VR, but not for exercise. Have you, Brian? And can you imagine really using this as like a viable way to get your workouts in?
1: I have not really tried VR ever. And I am a little uh, skeptical of it as a way to exercise. Although I will say this year we've seen Peloton, for instance, grow hugely, not just people being on the bike, but all the the ways that they exercise with the app. And then there's the mirror device, you know, which is connected to the internet and you have a trainer on this mirror in your house. There's all these different ways that people are connecting with exercise instructors and finding new routines. For me, between my, my aching back and the YMCA being closed, you know, I have enough excuses not to exercise as much as I should. My main plan for 2021 is to walk my new puppy though.
0: Your, your real puppy, right? Not a VR puppy.
1: My real puppy. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pick up real poop walking the real puppy.
0: That's when VR comes in handy. So puppies are great for increasing your step count. I have a dog too, Brian, and uh, it definitely helps me get outside and get motivated. But we know from your interview with Abby Fisher that in addition to getting our steps in, we also need to build strength, right?
1: Absolutely. And uh step counters and monitoring your heart rate are, are great, and they help you kind of keep track of your cardio. But think of it as like a progression. So what we have now is helping us track cardio. Tracking strength training, you know, other than counting your pushups is a little more difficult.
0: Well, that's a perfect segue. Let me tell you all about Tonal. They call it an intelligent home gym and personal trainer. It's been on the market nationwide since 2019, and I spoke with their CEO, Ali Aradi about what Tonal is and what inspired him to create it. Oh, and just a heads up, Ali has a young kid at home whom you might hear in the background. Tell me about how you started the company and, and why.
3: Well, it wasn't, it wasn't something I ever expected to do. When I was 35 years old, my health was a complete disaster. I was really overweight, had been overweight my entire life. By that point, I developed type 2 diabetes and sleep apnea, needed to get healthy. Uh, So I did the pretty drastic thing of quitting my job. I spent nine months losing about 70 pounds. I got really, really passionate about fitness and specifically strength training. Uh, But the thing that really, really intrigued me was this idea um, that I could take the weight machine, bring it into the home, shrink it down and make it intelligent.
0: Describe the machine for someone who hasn't seen it before. How would you describe it?
3: Well, if you stand, you know, 10 feet away from it, you know, it looks a lot like a 42 inch screen mounted to your TV sideways, like vertically. But when you walk up to it, you realize that there are these two arms that pop out and you can adjust the arms uh, into hundreds of different positions. And coming out of the ends of those arms are cables and those cables can generate up to 200 pounds of dynamic, adaptive, personalized force. Uh, and then there's a screen that, that has coaches on it that guide you through your workout. Um, the videos are actually being edited for you as you work out while you're working out in real time. And so everyone's experience is different. Even if you come back and do the same workout later, it's different because it's reacting to you. the pacing is adapting to you. the amount of weight that you lift is being decided by, by AI knowing how strong you are. Um, it adjusts that weight up or down. It counts your reps. It gives you feedback on your form in real time. It really is like being with a personal trainer.
0: So how does it know all of this? What is it actually sensing from me as the user?
3: Just to give you examples, uh, the handles that you attach to a tonal that you you pull on, those aren't just like plastic handles like you'd find at the gym. Those have electronics inside them, and we're actually measuring your movement in three dimensions. We have all sorts of sensors inside the tonal as well. All of that data crunching in real time gives us a pretty accurate sense of what you're able to do when you're about to fail and we feed all that back into the weight engine so we can choose how much weight you should lift and when it's time to go up or down, and we feed that into the form feedback algorithms where we can you know, we can give you real time and, and relevant tips, um, like, hey, remember to do this, or hey, don't do that.
0: So how does it work? I assume there's gotta be some mechanical component here inside.
3: Yeah, so the force is generated using electricity and magnets, or what's known as electromagnetics, and with that, we can generate up to 200 pounds of force uh, and 200 pounds, that's enough to pick you up off the ground, right? So it's a pretty serious amount of force. And on top of that, uh, we recently announced a new technology called SmartFlex, uh, which actually adapts uh, the resistance through your range of motion in order to most effectively uh, work your muscles as a result and give people a much better workout in a much shorter amount of time. Plus, we're choosing the exact right amount of weight. Most people lift too light or too little. Plus, we have coaches creating multi-week programs to help people achieve their goals. It's kind of the best of all worlds and you can do it in your home without going anywhere. <laughs> right? it's, it's really great.
0: So on the, the coaching part of it, um, there's definitely a social component to going to the gym, being around other people, group fitness classes. What social components are there to Tonal, if any?
3: Well, our, our social components are, uh, we, have a, we have an online community, especially on Facebook, which is really, really vibrant. Uh, we have a leaderboard uh, but the thing that's different, and, and this is where I go back to that, that analogy I use, which is we're not trying to deliver a group fitness experience. We're trying to deliver a personal training experience. So, you know, when you are there doing your workout, it's you and the coach and focus on your movement. And, you know, we go to those group classes because we want we want the motivation to, to go a little bit harder than we would have gone on our own. Personal trainers are there to actually help you craft the right programs. They're there to teach you and give you instruction.
0: And on that note, um, can you talk a little bit more about data? I'm sure you're collecting all sorts of really fascinating stuff. I mean, how does this inform the offerings? How does it inform what you're tailoring, you know, how you're tailoring each workout? And and what are some ways that you could use data in the future that you haven't yet?
3: In our case, the data is being used in real time to tailor the workout to you. Uh, and so mid rep, we might decide that you're struggling too much and we'll actually reduce the weight. We call that our spotter. Uh, you might come back a few minutes later and do that same exercise and we'll we'll have dialed the weight up or down by one pound because we just in one pound increments. So really, really fine granularity. Uh, we might see that you're not doing the movement properly and give you some tips on your form. But then as we amass all of this data and anonymize it and we begin analyzing it, uh, and we're able to take that data and and feed it back into our our programming. Uh, and we have so much data that we're able to like look at look across our member base, see everything they've been doing for the past you know x amount of time. And so, while well, these people got stronger faster than these people. What did they do differently? And then we we feed that back into our programming. So there's this this feedback cycle where the data just makes the AI smarter, makes our coaches smarter. From a user's perspective, it just means they're going to get a better workout.
0: When is the last time you went to a gym?
3: uh my home gym 25 minutes ago <laughs> <laughs> So what do you think Mihal?
1: Do you see the appeal of the home gym? Do you think that people are going to be working out on their own in their uh, extra bedroom after the pandemic is over?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that some things are going to be uh changed forever and this this was already a trend that was starting, you know, we had these these companies didn't pop up overnight, right? But I do think that there's something to be said for the gym, gym, as opposed to the home gym. And that's that, you know, it used to be a social experience as well. And you can replicate some of that at home uh, with products like Peloton, but not entirely. And in fact, with Tonal, that's not really part of their model at all. They don't really have much of a, a social component. And that is important to some people like myself. So, I should mention also that these are not cheap alternatives. And, you know, like you said, first of all, an extra bedroom helps. Not everybody has that. And a new tonal will run you about $3,000. Additionally, you pay a $50 monthly fee. So, okay, the $50 monthly fee is probably cheaper than most gym memberships, but, uh, you know, there's a big upfront cost associated. So, I don't know. Next year, Brian, maybe you can get his and hers tonal sets for you and your wife. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, exercise can always be as cheap or as expensive as you want it to be. I think the key thing is finding what works for you and something that gets you into a routine and keeps you doing it. And so maybe for me, it'll be my puppy, but uh, whatever works is good.
0: Okay. I think before we go, we need to know the name of your puppy. Cause I actually don't know it yet.
1: His name is Bruno and he's probably the cutest puppy in Brooklyn as of Sunday when he got here.
0: Well, I look forward to having him meet Teddy someday. That's my dog. All right. That is it for today.
1: But before we sign off, Michal and I have one request. If you're enjoying Brainstorm, take a minute to rate and review us. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please do so.
0: Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more talk on how tech is reshaping our world.
1: The Brainstorm podcast is a production of Fortune Media. Our show is produced by Wyatt Orm and edited by Wyatt Worm and Nicole Vargala. Music is by Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold.